Our second reading, 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we decided to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker for God, in proclaiming the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you for the sake of your faith, so that no one would be shaken by these persecutions. Indeed, you yourselves know that this is what we are destined for. In fact, when we were with you, we told you beforehand that we were to suffer persecution. So it turned out, as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor had been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. He has told us also that you always remember us kindly and long to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, during all our distress and persecution, we have been encouraged about you through your faith. For we now live if you continue to stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and the Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Again, welcome to those of you visiting today uh, at the 8 o'clock service. I had the joy of meeting a husband and wife who are passing through, uh, but decided to spend the night in worship here because they are brothers and sisters in Christ uh, from an LCMC church in Texas, and I had the joy of meeting them a few years ago when I spoke at the convention in Frisco, and they took advantage of our, um, our LCMC website that has a congregational directory and said, well, Faith Lutheran, that's in Albuquerque, we'll stop. So just be reminded that when you're away on vacation, uh, you can use that congregational finder. Uh, when we joined LCMC back in 2004, we had just over 100 churches. Now, by God's grace, we have over 900 around the world in 17 different countries. And um, it was a blessing for them to be here at 8 o'clock. And uh, Gabriel, I have to tell you that um, they were blessed by your music. And I um, hope they told you, because they told me. They stayed for the very end of your postlude. But to all of you who are visiting today, and to the members of the congregation who've been out of town who've been away on vacation, who've been working um, in other places. Uh, Today we conclude a four-week-long meditation on this letter, this first letter of Paul to the church in Thessalonica. On that very first weekend, we um, looked at what Paul had to say about Christian community. Um, All of us belong to many smaller communities within the larger city of Albuquerque, where we share interests, uh, where we share hobbies and passions. But the Christian community is called to be unique. Uh, The Christian community is called to be Christian, to honor Christ and to seek His will in all things. 
And one of the things that we seek to do as a Christian community is uh, to evangelize. That was the focus of our second meditation. That's a word we don't use as often these days as we used to, but it's a good word. It's a biblical word. Um, It comes from the good news of Jesus Christ. To evangelize simply means to, to do the good news, to share the good news with people who don't know of God's grace and mercy and loving kindness and what he's done for us through his son Jesus. And then last week, most recently, uh, we looked a little bit more closely at ourselves as members of the community who are called to evangelize and what it means to be a disciple, what our discipleship is like according to the teaching of Paul. And you know, there's, um, there's a self-discipline that's at work in seeking the mind of Christ, but we never do that by our own effort. We never do that entirely by our own strength. We do it by the grace that God has demonstrated to us and by the power of the Holy Spirit working at us to give us strength even when we are weak. And so today we kind of wrap up this month-long study looking at the love of God in Christ and the love that we share for one another that shapes this community, that um, uh, guides us in our evangelizing, and that motivates us in our desire to be disciples of God who want to bring glory to his name. But before we jump into Paul's teaching on this abounding love, we need to answer two questions. Who is this we that you heard read in the first verse? And what is it that they cannot bear any longer? Well, if you go back to the very beginning of uh, this letter, Paul answers the question, who is this we, when he says that, well, I'm writing this Paul along with Sylvanus and Timothy. That's the we. Sylvanus, you may know better as Silas. That's the way he's referred to in the book of Acts and in some of our Christian hymns. And that shouldn't concern us because we call William Bill and we call Margaret Peggy. Um, Silas, or if you prefer Silvanus, um, went with Paul on his first and his second missionary journeys. And in the artwork of the early church, I mean, he would be something like a today's superhero or Power Ranger or something because he's always pictured with these strong biceps, with his hands up like this, with his fists. And on his wrists are these um, iron cuffs and dangling from them are broken chains. Because he was with um, Paul in Philippi when the earthquake came and shook the ground and broke the chains and uh, the, the door of the jail was forced on the ground and all the prisoners were set free. So Sylvanus was living, you know, and serving in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And Timothy, you may know, uh, at the time of this letter, was a very, very young man. Paul even refers to him as his beloved son in the faith. He was a wise young man. He knew Christian teaching. In fact, Paul sent him to Ephesus when there were heresies being spread, false teachings. He sent Timothy to go and and correct those false teachings. And then um, Timothy went on to serve the Lord faithfully, and he didn't get to retire after 30 years with a pension. He didn't get to walk away from ministry at age 65 with some nice benefits. He served as the leader of the Ephesian church until he was 80. And he would have continued serving 
But in his 80th year, the Romans had had it with his powerful proclamation of the gospel and the number of people that were turning from Roman paganism to Christianity. And at 80 years of age, the elder Timothy was beaten, dragged through the streets, and uh, put to death by stoning. Well, before that happened, when he was the younger Timothy, the beloved son of Paul, what they could bear no longer was this trouble in Thessalonica, where Christians were being persecuted by both uh, Jewish and Roman Gentile authorities. The Christians were suffering greatly there. Paul wanted desperately to go back and see his brothers face to face. And we don't know exactly what kept him from going there, but the word of the Lord says in chapter 2 of this letter that Satan continued to block his way. There were these obstacles. So Paul decides to send Timothy. Maybe it's because he's, I don't know, younger, stronger, faster. Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh, but that's all speculation. But at any rate, he sent the younger, stronger Timothy alone, and he made it. And he returned with good news that gladdened Paul's heart. Even the persecutions against the Thessalonian church did not destroy their faith in God. And it did not diminish their sweet love for one another. And then Paul tells us what this love is like. Not just for a Thessalonian church 2,000 years ago, but for any community in Christ where people dare to be disciples of Jesus. Paul tells us that Christian love encourages through faith. It always encourages I mean, you think about Timothy. He took the time, he he went to the risk, he took the trouble to make that difficult and dangerous journey to Thessalonica to simply encourage the Christians there who were suffering. Paul wrote his letter to do the very same thing, to affirm them, to encourage them, to build them up. Christian love always does that. It always encourages. It always builds. It never discourages or tears down. From time to time... All of us face some disappointments, don't we? All of us have experienced some losses, some some really great losses. We've all known seasons of sadness in our life. But to my knowledge, and you correct me if I'm wrong, to my knowledge, none of us have suffered like Paul or that Thessalonian church. And if you didn't know it, if you're a new Christian... Uh, Paul, just like Timothy, was also put to death for his faith in Jesus Christ. And at the time of this letter, men, women, and historians tell us even children were being uh, tortured and persecuted for their faith. To my knowledge, not one of us has experienced that. So I would hope that as we serve the Lord in this land of freedom in this place of relative peace and safety, that maybe we start practicing that ministry of encouragement now when things aren't so difficult. Because what would happen, brothers and sisters, if a day comes to this land or to this city where you and I or our children and grandchildren are persecuted for their faith in Christ? What would we be like then? How would we treat one another in that environment. So let's start 
doing the ministry of encouragement now and not wait for it to get worse. And for some of us, this means a really hard swallow and a big step outside of our comfort zone. It means daring to be kind and speak to and encourage a brother or sister in Christ with whom you worship and see every week. And I'm not a betting man, but I'd bet you dollars to donuts that every single one of you here could stand and look around and see faces that you see over and over, but you don't yet know the names. So I'm asking you to step outside of your comfort. I'm asking you to ignore distractions that can taint and poison any congregation. I meet people all too frequently who tell me after I invite them to come to church, well, I stopped doing that a long time ago. I'm a recovering Christian, they tell me. What does that mean? I say, well, could you explain that to me? And they tell me how they left church because they went to a congregation where people constantly criticized each other, where there was all this arguing and bickering and complaining over silly things and consequential things. Let's not be like that. Let's be a place known for our encouraging love and our spirit of gracious hospitality. Paul says this love that encourages is an abounding love. You can't even say that word, abounding, without thinking about something bouncing and moving and having life. It abounds for all. Authentic Christian love is not a concept. It's not dormant. It's not static. It's not a limited commodity. It's living. It multiplies. It grows. It's organic. Some of you know this. On Sundays when I'm not preaching, I'm often doing counseling in my office. And if there's no one in need of counseling and Mike or Carol or Jerry is preaching, sometimes I'll go and worship at one, two. And if I can work it out without speeding, you know, I'll try to get to a third church before Sunday morning's over just to go and worship in other places to see how Christians are doing in this thing we call Christ-like community. One Sunday, not too long ago, I visited a congregation and I estimated that the sanctuary had room for about 400, maybe 450 people. And I counted the people there and I made um, the 28th soul who was there for their one service. At a swim meet yesterday, some of you were there, I had one person ask me, could you move a little bit? And I said, why? Well, you're a big guy and you make a big shadow and it's really hot. Could you give me a little shade? <laughs> so I know that um, I'm hard to miss at 6'5", 235. But when I went to this church with 28 people, I felt invisible. No one said hi. No one greeted me after worship. I went to a little area that had some brochures, and one said, welcome, friend, we're glad you're here, but nobody said that. Nobody did that. I'm not saying this to be harsh, but where was the abounding love? And if I was a new person to Albuquerque who just landed a new job or was starting over again, single divorced, married, whatever. If I was there looking for community, I don't know if I would have gone back, truth be told. Because we in the church need to remember that just like in businesses, 
uh, first impressions are lasting impressions. And I just want to say to any of you who've ever worshipped here and not felt welcomed, I'm sorry. We know better and we want to do better. So I'm asking those of you who are members of this church to do something I asked you to do about two years ago. Do you remember? Would you make it your goal before you rush home or to your favorite restaurant just to talk to one person you don't yet really know? Just say hello. And two years ago I said, and if you don't know what to say, just say, hi, I don't think we've met. Is there anything for which I could be praying for you today? And one of our members did this two years ago. And the following weekend, she came up to me and I thought she was scolding me. She goes, well, I did what you asked. Yeah, and? Well, I saw these people standing alone in fellowship hall. Yeah? Well, it was a good thing I did because I said, is there anything for which I could be praying for you? And they said, yes, our son just died last week. And this is the first time we've been in church in years. I mean, you never know. The burden, the sadness, the difficulty someone's facing. And just a kind word. Just the offer to pray. And then to really pray. When you ask, is there anything for which I could be praying for you? Yes, I pray for you at the death of your son. Christian love is also thankful. And it's thankful in a spirit of joy, so says Paul. Now, let's remember the context of the Thessalonian church. There's no fun in being persecuted. There's no fun in going to jail. But Paul and Silas and the Thessalonian Christians were thankful in joy in the midst of all that persecution for the life and the hope they shared in Christ. They weren't giddy over being beaten and imprisoned, but they were thankful to God. They had a joy because they knew God's grace and mercy were with them, yes, even in the midst of all that suffering. You see, joy was kind of a byproduct of their discipleship, their obedience. I think it's the same for us. Even in times of your sadness, your disappointment, your uncertainties, We have a hope and a joy that the world cannot take from us because the world didn't give it to us in the first place. Some of you know that shortly after my wife Kirsten was diagnosed with breast cancer, we came across the story of a woman who was going through some difficult things of her own, and she decided that she would spend time writing down until she had a thousand items, things for which to be thankful, because she found herself focusing on all the bad things that were going on in her life, and she was feeling toxic. And so the Holy Spirit prompted her to start thinking on and listing the blessings in her life. And she said it changed her. She was able to be joyful in gratitude instead of miserable in negativity and bitterness. Now, hey, I am not a pop psychology preacher. I hope you know this by now. And I don't think that choosing to be thankful is some psychological trick. I don't want any of you, I don't want you to expect me to deny the real pain and the sorrow that unfolds in my life. But even in the midst of our sorrow and our suffering, we have a trait. It's in our spiritual DNA. We know that God has the first word and the final word in all things. And that nothing in all creation, no uncertainty, 
No disease, no injury, not even death itself can separate us from God's love. And that's a cause for gratitude and joy. And it's this kind of love that strengthens the heart. Paul says that there's a love in Christ and among his people that strengthens the heart. Now we know, you know, that you don't think with the heart, right? You think with your brain, right? They're different parts of our anatomy. But heart is used in the Old Testament and the New Testament over and over again in reference to the totality of a person's being. And some of you who've studied history uh, remember Blaise Pascal, a Frenchman who died at the age of 39 back in the 1600s. He was considered then and by some scholars today to be one of the most brilliant people that ever walked planet Earth, a mathematician, a physicist, an inventor. Did you know he was also a Christian? And I don't know if we'd call him a theologian, but he was kind of a Christian philosopher. He wanted to think about the meaning of life from the perspective of a believer. And it was Blaise Pascal, brilliant man that he was, who said, with his brain, we come to know truth not only through reason, but still more fully, more fully through the heart. Paul tells us that Christ-like love strengthens the heart. Christ-like love never diminishes a person. It never weakens a person's faith. It never dwells on their sins or their past failures, which we all have. In a community of faith in which love abounds, hearts are strengthened, as Paul would remind us. And in a congregation where that kind of love is lacking, the church just becomes another place to go and kind of feel lonely, just kind of lost in the crowd. Another club, another man-made association. And in a congregation where there's not love, well, the gospel will soon enough be displaced, displaced by a gossip and self-interest you can count on it, will trump selfless service every time over time. I want you to think about those Thessalonian Christians. They're being persecuted. They're being arrested. How much time do you think they spent bickering with one another? How much time do you think the men or the women whispered, can you believe what she wore to church today? Do you think they complained on the Lord's Day that the worship service <gasps> went 73 minutes instead of 60? When you're persecuted for following Jesus, when the threat of death is not just a possibility but a probability, you tend to focus on what really matters. And you just can't be distracted by the things that don't matter at all. We are a community, you and I, founded in 1955, November the 13th, on the love of God in Christ Jesus. We are a community of love. Since 1955, we have been charged by God himself to evangelize. Not to confront, not to condemn, but to share the good news of a merciful God with others. All because of the love we know in Jesus Christ. And if you're a Christian, well, you're a disciple. And if that word 
doesn't work for you, try apprentice. You are a student. You're a learner. And your teacher is Jesus. And he wants you to learn to love as he first loved you and first loved me. I ask you to pray with me now for this congregation, our community founded on this holy love. Father, I thank you for Faith Lutheran Church. Not an institution, not a man-made organization, but the living bride of Christ. I thank you for every man, woman, and child here today. I pray your blessing on their hearts and on their homes and on their daily witness to your lordship and grace. I pray for those who are going through any difficulty in their lives, individually, relationally. I pray for husbands and wives that are trying to find their way back to one another, that your spirit would move among them and help them to love each other and to serve each other and to care for one another. I pray for those who are facing any uncertainty, those who are dealing with economic hardship, that you would give them peace and that you would open doors to them and for them. Lord, I thank you for all the visitors who are here this morning, especially those that don't have a church home, that they might find a welcome place to love and be loved and to serve you and serve this community through our work together. Lord, help us to give our time and energy to the things that matter, the things that matter to you. And since they matter to you, they matter for all eternity. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.